But we're a blessed people. It's still a strange time out there. I know it is. Somebody was telling me the other day that even your Alexa is uh, listening to everything that you're saying. The government can listen to it on you. But I do have some good news about that. I hear that they're making a male version of Alexa who won't listen to a thing you say. And the man will never, never hear a word you say. You can just talk all day and they won't pay a bit of attention to you. So I'm, I'm going to go for that one. <laughs> hey, Al. <laughs> Play Stephanie Gretzinger. Yeah. Al. <laughs> Al. <laughs> Two weeks ago this morning, I started a series with you called I Dare You. And I started out two weeks prior, I started out with I Dare You to be the richest person that your family's ever known about. And it encouraged us. It got me fired up. I hope it got you fired up. Got us fired up again to realize that God is a God of wealth and he wants his people wealthy. Now, if you think that message alone, Sue brought it out today, you've got to hear something like that over and over until it gets in your heart, just hearing it one time. And I didn't, those of you that's been around, Angie, you know good and well, I didn't preach that day all the details and all the laws that govern prosperity. I didn't teach those. You don't have time to do that in one day, but it was just to encourage you. You say, well, I, I don't know whether I'm getting that financial thing working in me like it's supposed to. Well, let me ask you this. Go back in your mind. One of the scriptures that we shouted over the loudest says, let them say continually, that the Lord takes pleasure in the prosperity. Now, if you could write down right quick and, and uh, stand up with it, and I'll come read your list. How many times have you said that since then? How many times? The Bible said, we read it, we shouted over it, it said, let them say continually, the Lord has pleasure in my prosperity. Well, Brother James, I don't know if I said that. I forgot it after Sunday. That's what I'm talking about. So you don't work the laws of prosperity. But hopefully that Sunday was enough to get you fired up a little bit and say, I'm going to go after what the Bible says about prosperity, and I'm going to become the richest person my family has ever, absolutely ever heard about. And then last week's on the favor of God. Wow. And, and did we teach all about favor? No, I gave you about five out of 200 verses in the Bible that talk about the favor of God. You can't do it all in that day, but I dared you to, to say, I'm going to be the most favored person I've ever heard about. The favor of God's working in me. And so most of you have now for a week, your faith has been working in that area. And you're confessing and you're believing. This morning, I want to encourage you and dare you, but I dare you to be the one, the one with the greatest faith in town. Now, can I say everything about faith in God today? No, there's no way in the world. Uh, how, how long does it take to thoroughly preach faith? Well, I'll let you know sometime later. I've been trying for nearly 40 years, and you can't get it all said in, in, in a, just a short time. It can't be done. But dare you to become the one with the greatest faith in town, against all odds. I, I believe is the greatest cry of the man or woman of faith. Amen. I mean, in the middle of something, just say, well, I believe God. Look, look at two scriptures. I want you to find two openings right quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And when you find that, also find Psalm 116. God. Very, find it very quickly, please. Jot these scriptures down. And after this, we'll begin to put a few things up on the screen for you. And then we'll look up some more too. But I want to show you this because the Holy Spirit gave me these this morning. Well, watch this very quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says we. Now this, of course, the difference in these two openings, you have 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, and Psalm 116. The difference in these two openings, what's your first thought of the difference? Well, one's a New Testament scripture, one's an Old Testament scripture. Well, you could say one is a covenant that belonged to others, Old Testament, but one covenant belongs to me, to you. That's the new covenant. So we're going to find out that what God said to a covenant with others, Old Testament, is the same thing that he's saying to us today. So there's a lot of things you can find in what belonged, what we call it Old Testament, in the Old Testament that still belongs to us today, and the, and the New Testament always bears that out. In this 13th verse, it says, we having the same spirit of faith. And that's what I want to talk to you today. It gets stirred up in your faith. This is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13. We have the same spirit of faith 
according as it is written. Now, as it is written is a reference to Psalm 116, where we're going to read in just a minute. But I want to point out something in both places. Read it again, verse 13. We have the same spirit of faith that these great people of faith have, according as it is written in Psalm 116. And here's what it says. I believed. That was David's cry that we're going to read. I believed, therefore have I spoken. Now, if I had a long time to talk to you today, I would remind you that faith has to be activated with words. We'll, we'll talk just a little bit about that, but it's, it's what you say, what you believe in your heart and what you say with your mouth. Do I have time to teach that today? No, not like I want to. But we have the same spirit of faith according as it is written in Psalm 116. I believed, that's what he said, therefore have I spoken what I believed. We also, Paul said, we also believe and therefore we speak. So we're men and women of faith with that same spirit of faith today. We believe something that God promised in his word. We believe a Bible promise and we say that's the way it is because we know that God wouldn't lie to us. And that's what the spirit of faith is. So faith, or, or listen to this again now. I started out this way. I believe. Think about it. I believe. That's the cry that you'll hear from the man or woman of faith. But that faith becomes a greater faith, a greater measure when it's in the face of, of obstacles or contrary problems, mountains. We sang about that in the presence of God, mountains going to the sea. That mountain could be a medical report. That mountain could be an injury in your body, something going wrong with your body. That could be the mountain against you today, against your future, the health. It could be a financial mountain of debts. It could be a mountain of, I can never get ahead financially. It can be a mountain of problems and fussing and attitudes. That, oh, listen, you ought to get Wednesday night's message on attitudes. Yes. You really ought to get message on that. He said, Brother James, why do you think so? Because I know you. I've been around you a little while. You need to get the message on attitudes. Right? Because you get the right attitude, you'll always succeed. Get the wrong attitude, you'll keep failing for the rest of your life. And it's no respecter of persons and it's no respecter of age. Attitude, getting the right attitude. That was Wednesday night. You need to get that. There's a few of them out there this morning. So he says, we have the same spirit of faith. So I believe, but the faith becomes greater when it's in the face of contrary circumstances. So go back now to Psalm 116 and see where this verse originated. It originated in David, King David, who started out as a shepherd boy, moved on up to becoming a leader of, of a group of men, a band of men. Later, of course, he becomes king of Israel and he's a warrior. And of course, we could talk all about him. He's just a wonderful man to read about in the scriptures. He made a lot of mistakes like you and I, which makes him wonderful because we know if God still loved him, he might still love you too. Look at verse 10. David said it right here. He said, I believed... Therefore have I spoken. Now that's where this came from. But look at the next phrase. David said, I was greatly afflicted. The bigger the problem is that you're facing, the stronger your faith is to overcome it. Your faith isn't all that big until it's in the face of a problem. Face of a difficulty. And so faith comes by hearing the word. We know all that. We're going to get into it today. But your faith is at its best. I want you to write this down. This would be a big statement today. Your faith is at its best when it's in the middle of an impossibility. Amen. That's when faith really shines the bright. It's kind of like the light of God. You know, a light, when is the light? You ever, you ever had a dim flashlight? It doesn't look that bright and you go out there. But you know what? The darker the area is, the brighter that light seems to be. The thicker the darkness, the brighter the light appears. Amen. You know, for, for example, what do you mean by that? Well, you could leave your floodlights on during the daytime and you can see that they're on, but sometimes you have to get in the right position to tell, is that on? You ever seen a headlight like this? Is, that, is my headlights on or is that just the sun? I'm not really sure. But brother, if it's dark outside, you don't have to question whether or not the light's on. You can see it because the light's more obvious. Your faith will always be at its best when it's in the middle of an impossibility. 
So you're going to have to just start standing up against your impossibilities and decide, and I dare you today, that you're going to be the one that's got the greatest faith in town. Because faith can be developed. Your faith is vital to the Christian life. And I I choose that word wisely because vital is a big thing. Your your Christian life depends on whether or not you ever develop your faith. I've watched now, being in ministry and pastoring so long, I've watched now maybe third generation growing up in faith. And if a parent does not teach their children how to operate in their faith, the next generation won't have it. Because they'll go as long as mom and daddy can carry them on their faith, but they won't have their own faith developed. And boy, by the time you get to the third one, they don't even think faith is of any value. And so you're going to have to train your children that mom and daddy's only going to take care of you on this thing for a little while. But you're going to have to get, I mean, by the time they're a few years old, you know, old enough to understand, you start saying, you're going to have to use your own faith. I remember when we lived on Tucker Road many years ago in the 1990s, early 90s, moved in in 91, I think, or 90, late 90s. And um, Averill, now we just had a little yard, no, no swimming pool, anything like that. And Averill was just running around. She was born in 89, so this, by this time she might have been about three. And she said, Daddy, I want a swimming pool. I said, well, use your faith to get it, three years old. But she knew what faith was. Right. She, she tried to run the house at three anyway. <laughs> Susan and I, we could have the TV on for any reason whatsoever. And Averill didn't like the TV. She just wanted to play. And she, I remember she came up to me one day, and I don't know what we were watching, but she judged it wasn't that good. <laughs> And she came up, and I was on the couch, and, and, and she came up to me and said, because she wanted me to play with her, she said, Daddy, quit watching those soap poppers. <laughs> soap poppers. Where'd she learn that? I wasn't watching a soap popper. <laughs> you know, but to her, it was a soap opera, and she was probably closer to right than, than thought. But we taught her and began to train her to use your faith. And so at three years or so, years old, maybe four, she said, I want a swimming pool. Well, I mean, we didn't have any money for a swimming pool, but I didn't say that because right. I believe therefore I speak. But I said, sweetheart, your faith will get you anything. Just yes. use your faith for it. Believe God. And it wasn't how long, Susan? Just a week or so. She just kept going around saying, I have a swimming pool. God's blessed me with a swimming pool. And it wasn't just within a week or two that we had a swimming pool. I mean, a little, little swimming pool. It was a little one, but it was a nice little one. It had the little slide built in. Y'all remember those? Man, as soon as her faith produced it and that little swimming pool came in, we put it out there in the yard. I ran the hose pipe from the kitchen sink out the window to fill it up so it would have warm water in it, you know, and didn't have to wait for it to warm up. Warm, put warm water out there through the screen, put the hose pipe through the window. I filled that thing up, and all four of us got out there. Susan, me, it wasn't much room to go down the slide, but we were all on that little, in that little swimming pool. Our neighbors would look out the window because we looked aside. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about this realm. You know, we were all sitting in that, and we just wave at our neighbors and get that little hallelujah, you know. But faith will produce. Well, she's still using her faith today. So you've got you're using your faith for things. You've got to believe God. And, and the, deep, the bigger, I can't say that enough, the bigger the, the impossibility, the bigger the faith becomes. Faith is vital, though, to whether or not you survive in your Christian life. What, what do you mean vital? Look, look at this on the screen. Hebrews eleven six says, and please read it with me. You know these verses. It says, without faith, and, and look at this particular translation that I chose this morning. Without faith, no one can please God. Your faith is vital. No one can please God. Whoever comes to God, now he's explaining what it means, that you can't even come to God if you don't have faith. He said, whoever comes to God must believe that God's real and that God will reward those that sincerely try to find him. So you've got to believe two things about God, that God really is real, that he exists. That's the man or woman of faith that believes God's real and that God will help me in my situation. He'll fix what I've got going wrong. That is simple put, but that's the way faith operates. But without faith, no man can please God because you can't even come to God. You can't approach Him. That's why your faith is vital 
to your Christian life. So if, you, if I say it's vital, that means it's crucial or it's necessary or better than that, it's critical. Your faith is critical as to whether or not you develop it. Say amen if you can see that. Why? Because as, as the scripture says, you can't even approach God or receive from him if you don't have your faith developed. So faith is, faith is life-changing. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Faith is life-changing. It's a creative power to our human existence. Everything about us, if you learn to develop your faith, you'll have a much more exciting life than the person that never does because you'll have yourself set up to receive from God rather than just being on your own. And, and of course, that's what the whole Bible is actually written about on how we can learn to get our dependency on God rather than our dependency on ourselves. Because you destroy your future if you try to make your own way in life. Faith is for us to live. The Bible says, and, and I'm not going to give you all of these today, but the Bible says at least four times, once in the Old Testament, three in the New, the Bible says very clearly that the just or the righteous or the New Testament believer is to live by faith. And if you don't know how to operate in it, then you can't even obey the simplest scriptures of faith that you're supposed to live by it or have your life sustained by it. What is faith? Faith is a deep assurance, a certainty, if you will, that God will actually do whatever he promised in the Bible to do. That's just simply what faith is. Faith is just saying whatever God said in the Bible, and then you find what he said in the Bible. Uh, to me, uh, it was like this. How, how can I say this in a way? Kimberly, I, when, when I got saved and God began to show me this, this is how it came as a revelation to me. This Bible would be like a treasure book. Now, now I grew up in church but I wasn't a Christian until I was 20. You know what I mean? Anybody know what I mean by that? Didn't get saved until I was 20. So I grew up in church. We always centered around the Bible in church. Good people in church, good pastors. Don't misunderstand me what I'm saying. But I just didn't catch it. And so to me, this was just a book of do's and don'ts and, you know, and it mostly don'ts. And, and so I didn't spend my time in it because it told me everything I was doing was wrong. And, and I didn't know that life could be any different. So I didn't, I didn't go after it. But when I got saved, it took on new meaning to me, as did everything in church. I remember when I got saved, in the same church I'd been in for 20 years, they sang the same songs they'd been singing 20 years, and I thought they were all new songs. I said, Power in the Blood, why ain't we been singing that? Mother said, we've been singing that all your life. I said, well, it didn't, it didn't ever make sense to me. Well, now that I'm saved, I, there's power. I was, I was there is power, power, man, because I just experienced it. I remember, I remember those songs and, and how that all of a sudden it came alive. I'd sang all my life, what a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, and I'd make up words sometimes, which you don't want to know what those usually were, as I'd be kind of singing along with my friends. But all of a sudden, what a friend we have in Jesus. Man, that became alive to me. Amen. Well, what happened to me during that time was this book became known to me as a treasure book. If I could find it in the scriptures, God would do it. But I had to find it, and I had to believe it and say it, like we've already learned today. But I had to find the promise. It was like I had to dig for it, and the proverb says you have to do it. Search for it like you would for treasure. And I started searching things, not to find out what God didn't want me to do. I found out there was a list of things he wanted me to do. And if I'd get busy doing them, I didn't have to worry about the things I shouldn't be doing. They'd just fall off of me. And so I began to look for this as treasure. And I'd find out that God would do things for me. And that's how faith begins to be developed. So faith is that deep assurance or a certainty that God will actually do what he says. Write this down, the basic two Bible beliefs. Now, there's a whole lot more than this, but this is the basic two Bible beliefs. It's very simple. is that God is with you and that he'll help you. Amen. I mean, if, if I could sum up in, a, in an elementary way to just get your appetite for God is for you to know that God is always with you and he'll always help you. Amen. And if you'll find chapter and verse, that's what he'll perform in your life Ooh, if you just believe it. God is with you. He'll always help you. Look, here's the scripture, Isaiah 41.10, that we're familiar with, but I underlined a couple of things I want you to notice. It says, fear not, God says, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I'm your God. He also says, I'll strengthen you. Yeah. 
But then look at the next part. I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Now, I know this is a, a familiar verse to us, but look at those two things mostly. I will be with you. I'm, I am with you. And I'll help you. Now, I learned this when I first got saved in, in actually December 1979 and, and understood what was going on January of 1980, 20 years of age. And it was within a week from the time I got saved that I knew God was calling me into the ministry. Now, that nearly scared the living daylights out of me, that God was calling me into the ministry. And I didn't know really what that meant other than I'd always had pastors. So I knew that was my understanding, you know, pastors and, and what that meant. And that was God was calling me to do that. And, and it, it just really scared the living daylights out of me. Within three months from the time I got saved, by early March, when I, now, well, I back up. At the end of January 1989, I'd been saved for about two weeks or so. My pastor, my then pastor, asked me, Jack, his name was Jack Graves. He asked me if I would preach at my church one night. And he recognized that call on me. And I did on a Sunday night. And, and in those days, Sue was a member there. And I don't remember, but in those days, maybe 40 people on a Sunday night, something like that. And, and you know, and I was, I was scared about doing that. I worked for days and days and days to get a message up and had three pages of notes. Took me about 10 minutes to read them and I was done. But I, but I wasn't real afraid of preaching in front of my home church because what could they do? Send me home? I was already home. I mean, if I, I thought in my mind, if I mess up bad enough, they'll just let me know I'm really not calling to preach and I can get rid of this idea, you know, and not be toying with it anymore. But then March, I'd preached a time or two then in my home church, just a time or two around my hometown folks, which can be hard. But yet, again, I was already home. What could they do but help me, talk me out of this thing? But then one day where I worked, I was up here at the Crump Nissan in those days, Crump Brothers Dotson back in those days, then later Nissan. I was parts manager and... and I saw in front of my parts counter a man came that had been my pastor in the early 1970s. His name was Tom Aaron. This was his wife, Martha Lane. They were very special to me because I remember him when I was just a kid. He came to my part. He, he was gone. I had not seen him in years, maybe nearly 10 years at this time. And he came up to my parts counter and he said, James, he said, I hear that you're going into the ministry. I said, well, I don't know about that. He said, I want you to come to my church and preach. He pastored Fairfield Highlands United Methodist Church. And he said, we're having a youth service. I thought, oh, okay, I'll come and preach to a few young people because I taught the young people at my home church on Sunday nights. And I thought, we'll have a setting like that. And so I went there that Sunday morning to a little church called Fairfield Highlands. I don't, couldn't find a picture of it because that church is not there anymore. It's gone. And uh, I, I don't know if another church congregation took it over or what, but I couldn't find it where, where I remembered it. But it looked something like this on the inside. It was totally different. It, this was the best picture I could get that looked like it. And when I got there, they called me into the back room and they, they ushered me to the pastor's study. And I went in there and there was Brother Tom Aaron. And I, I said, I, I'm here to you know, do your youth meeting this morning. And uh, he said, yeah, come on in. He said, this is the youth president. It was a young man younger than me. Now, I was about 20, and he was, I was 20. He was probably 16, 15 or 16. He said, this is our youth president, and said, he'll, he'll get you ready and all that. And he said, and you'll go out and preach to our congregation this morning. We should have a little over 200 young people. I said, a little over 200 young people. He said, yeah, in our main, so you're preaching our main service, he said to me. He said, we'll have about 200 young people. A lot of them, because it was, it happened to be March the 30th, 1980, and that was Palm Sunday. He said, a lot of people will be here. It'll be the full crowd. And I don't remember if it was three or 400 people that was going to be in there, but he said, there'll be 200 or so young people because they're all on spring break and they've come in from college and all this, and you'll have about 400 people. Well, that 400 immediately went into my mind, 800, because that would be how many eyes would be in that place. If there's 400 people, it'd be 800 eyes. And I got so nervous 
that I, 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 was, I thought I was going to be preaching the youth. Yeah, it's the youth conducted. And, and he said, so they'll, they'll, he'll take, this young man will take care of you. And, and Tom Aaron left the room. And, and uh, I looked at this young guy. I don't remember his name now. I said, and I didn't want to do this now. I mean, I was scared to pieces. And I, and I wasn't prepared for this. I, I said, uh, you know what? This is a youth meeting. I said, why don't you're the president? Why don't you just speak? I'll, I'll just support you. I said that to him. And he said, no, I'm, he said, all I'm supposed to do is introduce you. And I got scared to pieces. I can't, I can't stress that to you enough because this was in the early days of, I knew this much about faith. F-A-I-T-H. That's how you spell it. That's about how far I knew in faith. And, uh, and he said, no, he said, we'll go. And the pastor never came back because I was going to try to talk to Brother Aaron. I said, you know, you, I'll share a little bit. You, you do the preaching. I wasn't prepared for this. He never came back in the room. And so finally, the, the young man looked at me. We we're just, he and I in the room. The little pastor said, he said, well, we're going to go. So we walked out into a hallway. And I said, I'm still thinking, I've got to get out of this some way. Uh, my, my scout's out there. I can make a run for it and be down the road before they, you know, know where to find me. I mean, I was really serious about that. I wanted out of it. And, and so he put his hand on the doorknob we were standing there next to. And he said, when I open this door now, we'll be in front of the people that go out onto the stage. And I thought, Lord, and I remember this is the statement that came out of my mouth. I said, here we go. Just me and you. Mostly you. But you know what I found that day? I walked out into that crowd and I found out that when I stepped out onto that stage, the Lord was with me. Come on, amen. And he helped me. I mean, I, and because I didn't want to be. I can't explain that to you. Uh, this is what the crowd looked like that day. That's not the crowd, but that's the best. I'm just saying I'd never seen a crowd like that. It was, wow. it was full. It was filled with people, and they all were looking for me to bring them something. Wow. Now, surprising enough, I want you to know this. When I'm preaching today, nearly 40 years later, I still have these moments when I'm preaching that it dawns on me like, they're all looking at me thinking I'm telling them something. <laughs> I mean, that goes on to me almost right like, I've got to make sure this yeah. is helpful. Yeah. That, that, that just sort of registers on me sometimes. Brother, Brother Tom Aaron, and his wife, Martha Lane, this is what he looks like today. He's 90 in just a few days. I talked to his daughter last night in Cincinnati, and she, she called me several times to, to talk to him and send me this picture. And she said, uh, he's 90, but she, he doesn't want to celebrate his birthday because Martha Lane, his wife, just died a few couple of years before her 90th. He said, she didn't get to celebrate it, so I don't either. I'd be happier to celebrate it in heaven anyway, he said. So y'all pray for Tom Aaron. He's a special man. He lives in Tuscaloosa now, but a very special man in my life. But I found out that the Lord would actually be with me and help me. And, and that I, I didn't realize, but what God was doing to me that morning, March the 30th of 1980, was he was setting me up for bigger trials in my life to trust him that he would be with me and that he'd yes. help me. And that's what faith will do. And that's why I'm challenging you. I'm daring you today. Why not be the biggest person of faith in town? Amen. And all of a sudden, I, I could tell you stories, but I can't keep you that long today. But now for the last 39 plus years, every time I face anything, I go back to that same day, March the 30th, 1980, thinking the Lord is with me. He'll help me. Amen. The Lord is with me. Yes. He'll help me. In 1998, I'm jumping way ahead now, but 1998, Kurt and I, Kurt Owen, a friend of mine, we went to Pickle Lake, Canada. Pickle Lake, Canada is just short of the tundra. You have to go in the summertime or there's no roads in or out because of the snow. And we went up there to preach among the, the Indians, first Aboriginal people group of the, the Intuit language. It's the Eskimo language. And, and so we went up there and it was fun. We stayed with a little missionary. It was a, it's a very small area. I didn't bring any pictures of Pickle Lake today, but we were going to do a tent meeting in that area for the Indians of that area. But some of the Indians had let us know they didn't want us up there. 
They weren't happy that we'd come on their, their reservation. And, and they, did, they didn't like it at all. They'd let us know that. And so they'd put up this tent, and some people came. Some were mad in the tent. Some were okay. Some weren't. And, and I remember the first time it was my time to preach. And I had, you could tell there were some people that were antagonistic to us being there. And so just outside of the tent, which is made of canvas, gunshots began to go off. And I was thinking, walls of this tent probably not strong enough to stop that bullet from coming in. But it was their way of kind of, some of them trying to threaten Kurt and I from even being there. But I learned that the Lord will help you. He'll be with you and he'll help you. And we had a wonderful meeting. I'm uh, just saying those kind of things. Go on. But the one I was going to tell you about, just remind you, this is because this was so big to me, how faith began to operate. Because back now, 1980, when I got saved, by the fall of that year, I was pastoring a church and I was in college. And y'all have heard this story, so I'm going to give the real short version today. But this was a big deal to me. And I was in college, and, and I was in English Comp 101, fall of 1980, compositions, where you had to write compositions. And I would just write little sermonettes, because I was in the ministry now, just write these little sermonettes. And I would always get an A, because I just let the Holy Spirit flood. She didn't say what the subject had to be on, so I would make it on something I enjoyed, and I'd just preach on paper. And, and I always got an A, except one day I was alerted by the teacher. Her name was Rosalind Peoples. She told me, she said, she had put it on my paper. She said, James, you got an A today, but you'll get an F if you don't use a paper clip. Well, I'd never heard her say anything about the paperclip, and so I didn't buy any. And I was on my way from Jasper back to the college in Fayette in my little yellow Volkswagen when it reminded me that morning that I didn't get the paperclips, and we had to do a composition that morning. And the Lord said, but I'm with you, and I'll help you. He said, I want you to use your faith for it. I said, I thought in my mind, well, when I get there, I'll just ask somebody for one. He said, you'll not ask anybody but me for one. Come on. I said, well, then I'd rather not go because I'd rather not write one and get an F. I'd just soon miss the day. He said, go and trust me for it. Now, the scripture he had me stand on, write it down, is Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Believe you receive when you pray. Of course, it says it like this. Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you'll have them. And so I said, okay, I'm driving that Volkswagen. I'm in a hurry to get to college because I got to be there for that first class, 8 o'clock in the morning. And I was in a hurry to get there. And I said, okay, Lord, that I'm believing right now on the Townley Highway that I have a paperclip this morning and it's in my hands. Well, in the back of my mind, those of you that's heard the story know it, but in the back of my mind, I said, what will happen is when I get to the parking lot, there'll be paper clips, because there's always paper clips laid in the parking lot. And that morning, somebody had put a magnet all over that parking lot and took everything out because there wasn't anything, there wasn't trash or anything in that parking lot. And I said, Lord, I'm not getting out of this car, if I'm, I'm not out of this parking lot and going in if I don't have that paper clip. He said, believe you receive when you pray. I'm here to help you. And I got to the door, and in my mind, I thought, well, I'll just go down the hall. The hallways always has paper clips laying around, no problem. And I walked all the way to my classroom, which was the furthest classroom you could get to without any paper clips on the floor. And I stood at the top of the stairs, at the top of the, next to the door to go into the class. The bell was just starting to ring. When the bell finishes, if you're not in the room, you're out for the day. And I said, Lord, let the bell finish because I'm not going in. I don't have the paper clip. He said, I'm here to help you. I'm with you. Believe you receive when you pray. And I said, okay, that means I already got it. Long story short, I went on and sat down, went all across the room, no paper clips. I, my eyes scanned that like some of you scan girls. I, boys, I, I scanned that floor for a paper clip. That, zero paper clips. People were there. My mind said, ask one. Just, I mean, people had boxes of paper clips in their, in their notebooks, you know, little hundreds of them. I said, let me just ask. He said, no. He said, just trust me for it. I said, what would I do if I believe I received? Because he was training me. He said, then you'd sit down and write. Because she said, all right, everybody get your paper out, write a composition on, da, 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 you know. And so everybody went to writing. And the way it was that day, if you wrote your composition, you could turn it in. I was always the first one to get through and always made the A's. And so I was the first one to get through that day. But I couldn't turn it in because I didn't have any paper clip. I could have left. I could have put it on her desk and left. And I said, Lord, but I don't. And I looked around, my, you know, everywhere. Surely there's a paper clip. There was no paper clip. 
And I said, Lord, what do I do? He said, believe you receive when you pray. I'm with you. I'll help you. I said, well, what do you want me to do? He said, what would you do if you had the paper? You've got to believe you receive it. Faith believes you've already got it. Yes. I said, I, he said, what would you do? I said, well, I would turn my paper in. He said, then go turn it in. I said, I get an F. He said, not if you've got a paperclip on it. I don't. He said, believe you receive when you pray. Come on. I said, well, that's what I'm going to do. And I remember getting up that morning and I took my papers. I stood up because everybody, by this time, everybody had turned. There's only three more people in the class because I had waited that long to turn my... He said, do it. And I got up and I, I did my papers like this, you know, to go and to walk up to her desk and turn it in. And when I stood up, knocked him on my desk and went to do that, there was a paper clip. Yes, praise God. Yes, I got my paper clip, put it on my paper, turned it in her desk, and I was the happiest man in the world because I was the one that had faith that day. And I never will forget it. I never will forget it. I turned then to go back to my desk to pick up my books to go home that day with a smile that was going from ear to ear, maybe from brain to ear. I don't know where. And, I, and when I picked up my stuff, there was a second paper clip laying at my feet. At my feet. Now, what happened? I don't know. I just know God gave me a paper clip. Were, were you missing one that day? Because I got two. All right, anyway. But the idea is God was showing me I'm there to help you and I'll take care of you. Look at this scripture about faith. The Bible has a lot of things to say about faith. This is Matthew 9, 27, 30 about the blind men. It says, when Jesus departed there, there were two blind men, two, followed him and they cried saying, son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said unto them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said unto him, yes, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, look what I underlined for you, according to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. According to your faith. That is a big deal because you're going to receive from God according to whatever level of faith you want to operate on. Now, the Bible makes it clear that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. One translation puts it this way. I didn't put what translations these are. Again, look underlined. According to your faith. In other words, if you want to become the one with the biggest faith in town, Mm -hmm. then get busy developing it. Now, the best way to develop it is begin to study the Word of God because the more you read about it, the more your faith grows. Write it down, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You say, I want to have great faith. Well, then get great study in the Bible. And like like Sue advertised this morning, get the CDs, the messages, and listen to them over and over. That's what I was doing during those days, listening to Brother Hagin, Brother Copeland, Jerry Savelle, people of that nature. I'm studying them 24-7s. I didn't go to, I, I drove, everywhere I drove the tape, uh, back in those days, cassette tape, the cassette tape was going in the car. Yeah, yeah. If I was shaving or cooking at the house, the cassette tape was going. Yeah. If I was going to sleep, the cassette, if I woke up in the middle of the night, I turned the tape over for the conclusion. I kept listening and I was growing. That was 24 sevens. I was, I was constantly growing. And so faith begins to grow to a place that it can do something. Yeah. If you had learned like this, your faith that God gave you when you got born again is like a bicep muscle. But if you don't ever develop, it won't lift much. But the more you want to lift, the more you develop. So he says it's according to your faith. It's according, how much can you receive? According to your faith. So I said, well, Wigglesworth, Smith Wigglesworth, that man must have had great faith. No, he developed great faith. He had the same measure of faith that you and I have, but he developed his. So this where it says according to your faith, look at this in just some other translations right quick. One translation, Jesus said, it will happen for you just as you have believed. Did you get that? Another time he said to the blind man, he said, become what you believe. Amen. 
when he said, according to your faith be it unto you, literally Jesus said, all right then, become what you believe. Yes. Do you believe I'm able to heal you? Then become what you believe. Yes. Because whatever faith you develop, yes. you will become what you believe. Yes. Now, sadly enough, if you're not putting God first, you're still going to become what you believe. Yes. You'll always, that's the way we're created as nature. But if we create, if we train ourselves to only listen to what God said about us and not what the world's saying about us, that's why you got to be careful. Don't let the world label you. Don't let medical science label you into some disease. Don't let, uh, don't let people label you middle class, low class, any class. You are God's person and you're the person, you're going to be the one with the greatest faith that's ever been. So Jesus said to the blind man, become what you believe because that's what faith will do for you. Another translation says, Jesus said, you'll have what your faith expects. And it's according to you. You say, well, I didn't get my expectation upon that. Then, then that's why you didn't receive. But if you want it, you can. Because that word according, let me just say this to you. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. So the more we hear, yes. the bigger our faith becomes. Amen. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 says that your faith can grow exceedingly. Amen. But if it's not growing at all, it's because you're not feeding it. Yes. If you don't feed your faith, then your faith will die. Because the Bible, Jesus himself talked about, Jesus talked about little faith, weak faith, no faith. The Bible talks about dead faith, strong faith. What level of faith you want is according to you. Just a real quick interesting word, that word where he said, according to your faith be it unto you. There's, there's some people, I'm looking at some of you in here today. You know why, Susan, I don't tell you what our needs are? Because I don't think your faith is strong enough. Now, some of you I would. You, which one am I? Guess. You know. But I, some people, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call you if, I, you know, I mean, because I don't think your faith is developed. But, I, but others, I'd call and say, hey, listen, I need you to get on faith. Have you ever noticed that some people, you tell somebody what's going on and you want them to believe with you, all they want to do is go around and tell people, do you know what's wrong with you? Did you hear what? And, and so you can't open up to some people. Because some people don't get in faith. They just begin to use the negative. Right, amen. So I, I always just, you know, have to be very selective about who you get to agree with you because some people just love the drama of it. But I want somebody that'll hold the note and say, nope, you're healed by yes. stripes. Jesus, I'm not That's coming right. off of that. Amen. I'm not coming off of that. That's I believe right. you received when you prayed. No, you, that bill's paid. Somebody that'll hold Amen. their faith and not talk negative. Amen. Now, you, you can't just find anybody in church that way. You have, to, you have to learn a person of faith that takes the time to develop it. And you, you don't develop it watching TV and, and Facebook and all that. You, de- you develop it only one way your faith will develop, and that's by studying the Word of God, hungering for it, feeding on it, or you're that person with dead faith or weak faith or little faith or no faith. But it's according to you. That word according, where Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you, that word according is actually a Greek word, kita, which means, oh, this is powerful. Are you ready for this? Think about what Jesus said. The word kita actually means taking something from above and bringing it down to below. What it literally means, according to what faith you have, you can reach into the heavens, the highest of heavens, and bring down to earth what you need from the realm of Jesus, the realm of the spirit, into the realm of the natural. But it's up to your faith. Someone said, I just can't seem to get my healing. Then feed your faith. Yes, amen. You say, well, I just can't seem to get ahead financially. Feed your faith. You know, I ask people all the time, and it puts them on the spot. I know, I'm not trying to be ugly to them, but I just know it's the only way to get faith. They'll say, Brother James, I just can't seem to get my healing. I say, what, what scriptures, what healing scriptures? Well, well, let me get my Bible. Uh, honey, where's my Bible? What, what scriptures? No, don't, don't go get your Bible. Just tell me the ones you're, I, I, I just can't remember them right off. Look, you're not feeding on scriptures. You say, well, my faith is weak. That's what you chose is weak faith. But if you feed your faith, your faith will get strong. And there's absolutely no limit. If you want a 40,000 square foot house. You want vibrant health? Meditate the word of God day and night. There's 
no limit to how much health or how much wealth you can have. God, God's unlimited in what he's willing to do for you. The only limitation is what you and I put on ourselves. Now, I know I get on to you a lot, but I know good and well, if I asked you what joy scriptures you're standing on, some of you, oh, are there joy scriptures in the Bible? Because joy would be something coming out of us on Sunday morning. Get excited about what God, enthusiasm is a big thing with God. That, that's the difference in being lukewarm or cold. That luke, that luke, excuse me, that lukewarm, brother, hot or cold, he, the middle, he said, I don't want you to be lukewarm. I'll spew you out. Lukewarm means no enthusiasm. Not fired up about anything. If you at least be fired up on the wrong thing if you can't be fired up on the right thing. At least we'll know what side you're on. It's that wishy-washy stuff that gets us in trouble. And God says, I can't stand that. Anybody get anything out of this this morning? So, so begin to practice according to your faith. It means bring, your faith will actually bring from above down to the earth what you need. What it, listen to this. Whatever your faith can grasp from God up there, you can bring down to you down here. Whatever your faith can grasp, and you decide. Faith is to be fed, to grow, remain strong. As we said, Romans ten seventeen says faith comes by hearing or continual hearing. The more you hear, the more your faith grows, the more you become stronger. And so that's why this scripture says your faith can actually grow exceedingly. Why don't you take the dare today to say, I'm going to be the one that grows exceedingly and have the biggest faith of anybody in town. In the, in the midst of everything, I'm going to be intrepid. There's not going to be any fear in my life. I'm going to stand up and say, I believe. And so I said, what if the going gets tough? I'm going to say, I believe God. It shall be even as it was spoken unto me in his word. When, when Paul was on a, on a ship that was about to sink and they'd been out in that storm, actually out in a hurricane for so many weeks. And, and it, listen, it's one thing to be on a hurricane in land, on land on the hurricane. But can you imagine being in a ship in the middle of a hurricane? And he was out there for over three weeks. And they, they couldn't eat, they couldn't drink, they couldn't see the stars to navigate. And they were, the Bible says, all hope of their life was gone. And then an angel appeared to Paul and said, you know, this is going to be all right. No hurt if you do this and do that and certain rules. And, and Paul just stood up the next day in the middle of the storm, still raging. He said, I believe God. It's going to be exactly as God spoke to me. And that's what you've got to learn to do when people say, you're not, the devil messes with you at night. Sometimes you're not going to be able to pay that bill. You say, I believe God. It's going to be as God said in his word that he supplies all my need according to his riches and glory. Man, when I pay this bill off, I'm going to have money left over. I might go, I might go on the biggest trip I've ever had. And, I, and that's because God said I can. So the question comes, are you swamped by the mountain of difficulties? Look what God will do. We sang about it this morning. Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20, if you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, the problem, the situation, the difficulty, move from here to there and that mountain will move. He said, and then he says, and nothing will be impossible unto you. Nothing, absolutely nothing will be impossible unto you. I don't want to bore you this morning. I hope I'm not doing that, but I, um, I, I wrote down some things. I get texts. I want, I want to read some of my texts I get from people around the, the country. And I get this quite often. This was from a young lady about 24 years of age. This is the kind of things I hear all the time. Can you please pray for me, Brother James, that my life can be changed for the better and that I can find happiness? That's a 23, 24-year-old girl, that I can find happiness in my life. Another person said, can you pray for me to be able to have kids? I don't, I don't know what's going on with my body. This was a text I received back a little while ago. I want you to know that our friend Ricky is at UAB. They're not sure he's going to come out of the hospital. He's very bad. Please pray for our friend that he'll find peace in all that Father's hands has for him. Pastor James, my sisters and I see you having suffered a stroke. She's only 40. Please stand with me for her complete healing. Another one. Uh, hey, brother. Um, Ann asked you to pray for they found E. coli in her body. It actually, it was in her urine. E. coli in her urine. Um, this another one, brother James, please pray. Please keep me in your prayers. I'm in the hospital. I've had a heart attack. This was a preacher friend of mine. Please pray for me. I've had a heart attack yesterday. Another one said, I've been sick for two weeks, back and forth to the doctor's emergency room. Please pray. These are people from not in our church, outside of the church. 
please pray for me and that they can figure out what's going on and get it straightened out. And each time I hear a text like that and read it, what, what goes through me like is this, it's not my prayers that's going to change them. It's their own faith that's got to be developed. And if they don't ever develop their faith, they keep having these problems over and over. So the only prayer that can work for them that I can pray is, Lord, help them to realize their faith is their answer. If they can understand their faith is the answer, then they, these are people that's not in church. Most of them don't go to church. The pastor does, but I'm just saying most people don't even go to church. And they say, please pray for me. In other words, like, you got a magic prayer, fix this for me. you got a magic prayer, fix that for me. I'm 40. I, I, and my sister's 40. She's had a stroke. Fix it for me. No, she needs to be feeding her faith. That's why Wigglesworth said if you wait till you're in a major disease to try to start developing your faith, you probably waited too late. You, you know, people need to be feeding their faith all the time. And, and listen, I'm, I'm pastoring long enough, I can tell you this. I've never had a person, church member even, ask me a question that if they had only been in church the last service or so, would have got that answer. They're asking me to re-preach what I preached Wednesday night. Why didn't you come Wednesday night? Well, I had to watch Matlock. You know, it was a Matlock series. I know that's not probably what you're watching, but it's about as stupid as that. What were you doing on Wednesday night? You know, that's when we have, you, you want to listen, we get a little bit on Sunday morning. We grow on Wednesday nights. I'm telling you, that's where school is on Wednesday night. I mean, we're really having a good time. But each time I know that their faith... But, but on the other hand, let me tell you another thing. I had a man tell me the other day, a friend of mine, he was a former Bible school student of mine when I taught Bible school in another city. He, he called the other day and we were talking on the phone and, and about some things. And, and he said to me, he said, Brother James, he said, you know, I cut, I'm going to give you a testimony. I said, okay. He said, you know, I cut my arm, my hand nearly off at the wrist with a circular saw one day on my job. Well, I didn't remember that this had happened. He said, because he was built his faith. See, he's always growing in faith. He said, his faith and trust was in God big time. He said, I cut my hand nearly off. And he said, I wrapped it. It was on the job. Other people working around him. It, he was not a carpenter or anything like that. He, that might have been part of the problem. But on his job, in his business, he, they were trying to make some shelves. And so he got his circular saw out and somehow just cut through his wrist. He said, I wrapped it right quick with a towel. And he said, it was just dropping big blots, lots of blood out of the towel, you know. He said, because I'd, I'd severed the arteries. And, you know, you got two arteries in your, uh, in your hand. Science can't figure out why you got, medical science don't know why you got two other than some people are dumb, they cut one usually. And, and, and two can save your hand. You could, you could actually survive with one artery in your hand. And he said, I didn't know what I'd cut. I just knew big blops, big blops of blood was just blopping out of that thing. And, and so I just, the guys at work said, can we call 911? And he said, no, 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 I'm just going to trust God. I believe God, God. And he said, you know, it kept dropping that blood. And I felt myself getting weak. I thought, well, I ought to maybe call, yeah, y'all go ahead and call 911 for me. He said, when the paramedic got there and looked at it, he said, he had severed the arteries and severed all the tendons and said, they rushed him to the hospital and said, now I've never heard of anybody doing this. The paramedic, who's just a stranger, the paramedic said to him at the emergency, when they got him to the emergency room, Sam, they said, the paramedic said, I'm staying with you because I've never seen anybody cut their, I'm staying with you till they get you back in their surgery. And this paramedic wouldn't leave him until they actually got him into the, the surgery doctor came to look at it and this kind of thing said, well, we don't know that we're going to say, told the family, we don't know we're going to save your hand or anything like that, you know, because this has been without uh, oxygen or blood, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, but, he, but here's what he was telling me. He said, when I was sitting there waiting on the doctor to see me, he just kept saying, Lord, I don't want to be here. I'm a man of faith. I, don't want, I want you to heal me, Lord Jesus. Because they've already looked at him now. The paramedic said, you, you know, nothing attached there, except just the bone was what was left. It just rubbed around. I don't know, maybe, you know, because those saws will roll your hand and just cut all around, just the bone. And, and he said, just cut everything. And, uh, well, it won't cut yours or mine, but I'm just saying that's what happens to people that get in the way. And, and he said, uh, 
He said, I just kept saying, Barbara, he said, I just kept holding it like this. He's saying, I'm healed. Jesus, I want you to heal me. I want you to put my arteries back. I want you to put my, my tendons back and all this. I want my hand. I'm not losing my hand. I'm not. Well, they got him in there to the surgery. And the doctor, you know, when, of course, he was out of it. But when they got through, they said to him, the doctor said, you've got a miracle. He said, we were able to connect an artery. And he said, all your tendons are back. He said, we don't understand it because they weren't. And then they were. <laughs> And the doctor did him like this. He said, you had a miracle. You've got a bona fide miracle. What happened? Alan had faith. Alan had faith that God would do anything for him. He'd been feeding his faith for years. He, wasn't, he didn't wait. wait say, oh, no, I'm, now I'm about to lose my arm. Better get in a, you know, he, he just trusted God. See, there's a difference in people that know how to use their faith and people that don't. Jesus encountered, I'm going to tell you this real quick. Let me look at the clock. Time to go home. All right, Jesus encountered two people that had great faith. I just want you to see something about them. Turn right quick to, you'll find these right together. Look real quickly at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8. This, we won't be but just a minute. You could have great faith like that. You really could. You could have the greatest faith of anybody. By looking at this scripture, Matthew chapter 8, this is the Roman centurion. Now he had a, what Jesus called great faith. He didn't say your faith has done this. He said you've got great faith. He actually called him having great faith. Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to look also at Matthew 15, and I'm going to do so fast that if you're not in faith, it'll make your head swim. So you better, you better look fast, because I want you to be a person of faith like this. When problems come, mountains and difficulties come, that you'll be ready. This man had so much faith that he told Jesus, if you'll just speak the word, my servant will be healed, because he had a servant that was sick, a servant that was obviously very close to him. And in Matthew 8 chapter 5, oh, excuse me, chapter 8, Matthew 8 verse 5, brother, Jesus came to Capernaum, and there came a centurion begging him, beseeching him. Verse 6. Everybody with me? Yes. And said, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Jesus said unto him, I'll come and heal him. Now that's not Jesus said. I'll just come and heal him. Thank you, Jesus. But yes. the centurion said, no, Lord, I'm not worthy that you come under my roof. And he said, just speak the word only. Verse 9. He said, I'm a man under authority. having uh, Well, I didn't read all verse 8. I'm getting in too big a hurry. But underline that in verse 8. The centurion said, I'm not worthy that you should uh, come under my roof. Speak the word only. Yes. Speak the word of God. Speak the Bible promise only and my servant will be healed. Yes. Now that's a person that Jesus later would say had great faith. And he said, I'm a man in verse 9 under authority and I tell one soldier to do this and they do it. And you're a man of faith, Jesus, and a man of authority. And when Jesus heard that, verse 10, Jesus heard it. He marveled and said unto this man that followed him, Verily I say unto you, I've not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Now, if I had to close right there, that's what I want you to see today. You could actually have a faith that nobody else in your town has ever operated in. Jesus said, I've never seen anybody in town with faith like that before, Shayla. Oh, by the way, you know, I was preaching about my paperclip story. I'm wearing my, if you notice real quick, I'm wearing my paperclip tie that Shayla had given me some time back. That's my paperclip reminder. Every time I see a paperclip, I remember God's there to help me. It's just full of, you have to look at the pattern later. But anyway, but the idea is, he said to this man, let me get over to it. I tell you, this is the CV version. Jesus said, I tell you that in all of Israel, I've never found anyone with that much faith. Praise God. I, I tell you that in all of Israel, I've never found anyone with this much faith. Well, I'm just saying, if you take the dare today, you can go out here and God Almighty will say about you, I've never found anybody in Northwest Alabama has got that much faith. Nobody's got that kind of faith. In the Passion Translation, Jesus said about him, said he has greater, the greater faith than anyone I've ever encountered. I want people to say that on my job. I want people to say that in my school. I want them to look at me and say, I've never seen anybody with faith like you. Now, I, I've had the privilege of having people say that with me about minister. I've been to preach for preachers, and they say, I've never seen anybody with faith like you've got. I had a man tell me, I did a, I did a faith seminar one time, five sessions in a faith seminar once at a man's church. And this man had been pastoring 
about as long as I had. And he said, he said to me, he said, Brother James, he said, I can teach those scriptures on faith like you do. But he said, I don't have any stories like you do. I said, what do you mean you don't have any stories? He said, I've never had my faith do anything for me. And you're pastoring the church. I didn't get on to him like that. But that was my thought. You know, put your faith to work. Don't just preach about it. Live it. Put it on the line. Make it work for you. I'll close with this. This other story here, Matthew 15, is the Syrophoenician woman. This is the woman that came with her daughter, or came for her daughter. Her daughter wasn't there, but she came with the idea of her daughter being sick, and Jesus wouldn't answer a word. Now, one thing I want, to notice, I want you to notice, both the Roman centurion we just read about and this woman, both of them are outside of the covenant. They're not Israelites. So the covenant of healing doesn't even belong to these people. Right. But here's what, here's what the deal is. They were so hungry for it that it passed their borders of race or being outside of the covenant, their faith just reached up and grabbed it because it's according to your faith. It doesn't matter what family you're a part of. Amen. doesn't matter if you're Jewish or you're Gentile or in this case. Do you know what this woman was, the Syrophoenician woman we read about here? She was a Canaanite woman. You know what Canaanite meant? That meant that these were people that God had told the Israelites to kill them all before they moved into the promised land. And she was one of the ones that walked, her walking and breathing was proof that they had disobeyed God in that rule and commandment. She was... Outside of the covenant. She was the enemy. That's why Jesus even called her a dog. He said, you're not, you're not of the family. He said, I, I'm not going to take time to read it to you because you know it. But here's what he said to her. He said, it's not right for me to take the children's bread because she wanted healing for her daughter. He called that children's bread. Jesus said, it's not right for me to take what God's got for the children of the covenant and give to you dogs. Now, was Jesus trying to be ugly to her? No, he was trying to get her to a place of greater faith because she was, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Unless you're fighting mad, if you're a passive person, write this down. You've got to go home with this. There's no such thing as passive faith. Well, I've got me four scriptures and I'm believing. Listen, if you're not hollering at the devil and telling him to take his hands off what belongs to you because God's promise is true and declaring it out loud with your mouth, you're not in faith. Passive faith, there's no such thing as it. Jesus said it's the violent that take heaven by force. If you've got a, listen, if you've got a faith project going, every one of us in this house ought to know it. And, that, and because we all said, man, I can tell you what, she's working on something, isn't she? Look at her, boy, don't, don't get around her right now. She's working on something. She's knocked the doors out because she's, she's believing God. That's the way our faith projects ought to be. And if you want to have the greatest faith in town or you can have the deadest faith in town, it's all up to you. This woman was a Syrophoenician woman. Jesus knew her faith would never do anything until she got fighting mad and realized that she had a right to be at the table because her faith would take her there. And he said, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to you dogs. She said, that may be true, but even the little dogs get the food or the crumbs that fall into the master's table. Literally what she said, this is gardener interpretation. She said, I might be a dog, but if I'm a dog, I'm your dog and you got to take care of me. So you better feed me something because I'm getting what belongs to me. And Jesus looked at her in these verses right here and said, daughter, Great is your faith, he said. I think King James says, he said, great is your faith. We had, to, we had to decide a long time ago that we were going to touch the world from Jasper. Jesus said that we're going to reach the world from, for Jesus from Jasper. And, um, and you know, I, I, I thought, Lord, how are we ever going to do that? We've been working at it and working at it. And sometimes you just want to give up and run off. And uh, the Lord said, no, I've called you to do it. And uh, one of the ways that God did it, I, I remember, wrote that book about four years ago. And uh, called Living Christ in You. And I said, Lord, I believe that this would be a, a book that will help people. Amen. And you'll help me get around the world and reach the world. And God said, I'm going to take that book and touch people with it. Amen. Norval Hayes' daughter, y'all remember Zona Hayes was a pastor up there in New Life. She's in heaven now. But she was a good friend of mine. Just just call me and love on me and just help me. And, and I'd help her. And she'd, if she needed prayer, I'd pray for her and she'd pray for me. We were just, just good, good friends. Susan knows. And uh, just, a, just a precious, her and her husband, Terry, good friends of ours. And ate at our table before. And... 
she said, James, I'm going to help you get that in, into Harrison House. I shouldn't have said the name. But anyway, a great, a great uh, well-known Word of Faith publishing house. And, and she did. She helped me get it in there. And I got it in there and they rejected it. And they said, eh, you know, you're not popular enough and it won't do any good. You know, if you don't, you don't have, you're not, not on TV preaching to millions, we don't want you. And I said, okay, all right. And uh, I said, Lord, but I believe you'll do it. You know, but since then, God took that book and I, I wrote some of this down. I've had four, or well, maybe five pastors tell me all over the United States, from different areas of the United States, said, Pastor, I want to use your book to teach from. And I thought, praise God, we're reaching the world of Jesus from that book, Living Christ in You. I had one pastor in Washington, D.C., and then uh, a pastor in Atlanta, Kennesaw, Georgia, actually, and he lives in Atlanta. And uh, he said, can I, can I preach that? Another one. Bakersfield, California, Pastor Billy Ranch out there said, Brother James, I want to teach that book. I said, I want to teach that to my people. And they all did. I saw most of them on, on their video. They don't teach it as good as I do, but they taught it. Just joking. I'm just joking. And then another one in Atlanta, and then one in Pennsylvania, pastors teaching from that book. That, that's the ones I know about. Susan got an email the other day from a lady, one lady up in Charlotte, North Carolina, that's ordered 30 of our books, over, you know, 10 at a time in increments of 10. And she's ordered 30, and she was calling on the order the other day. And she said, uh, Susan, she said, the Bible study that I'm going to, now we haven't met this woman, but she's just online. She said, the Bible study that I'm going to is using this book. She said, please give Pastor Gardner a big thank you because he's touching and changing many lives. She said, I sent four of the books that she bought. She said, I four them to a friend of mine who keeps a list of folks that she prays for that needs encouragement. She prays for them. She sends them little notes. She chose four of them to receive Pastor Gardner's book. I know one's in the military, another one's in prison. She said, there's no telling how many people have been impacted during the past year. Why? God's helping us reach the world. And that's my, that's my faith project. She said, that, now this blessed me what she said, the last thing, the last, this was two texts put together, but she, the last thing she said, or emails, she said, this is certainly a book I'd love to see reach the whole world. I'd, it's packed with such life-changing revelation. So that blessed me. Uh, a prison minister in Tennessee said, when I read the book, he said, it changed the way I minister, and now I'm getting prisoners saved by the things I learned in the book. Brother Copeland, when Brother Copeland read the manuscript, he said, Brother James, I learned something in the first chapter that I've been asking God about for years. That blessed my heart. An airplane pilot, a commercial airplane pilot, picked me up one time to be my chauffeur in a meeting we were at, and he was to pick me up. I don't know if he picked up the airport or the hotel and take me somewhere. And he said, Brother James, he said, I read that book. And he said, my life has changed. I'm using my faith in a different way. What, what, what blesses me, I'm saying, what I'm saying is God's taking something. If we keep our faith in him and helping us reach the world, we're going we're to hear people from all over the world where that book has, has touched people's lives. So that's one of the ways. And whatever the devil says we can't do, we're doing it anyway because we have intrepid faith that says, I have no fear. There's not anything keeping us back. We've got a place in this planet because God's called us and our faith is strong and we're reaching the world for Jesus from Jasper. Look at this last two scriptures. I challenge you. I charge you. Have your faith where the Bible says in 1 John 5, 4 says, our faith is the victorious power that triumphs over the world. So there's not anything that you can't do if you'll use your faith. Last scripture, 1 Peter 5, 9, where he's talking about the devil that tries to stop us. Peter said, take a, now this is, this is the Passion Translation. If you don't get this, this is, this is so powerful. He said, take a decisive stand against him, the devil, and resist his every attack with strong, vigorous faith. And so I challenge you, I dare you, have the strongest faith of anybody in Northwest Alabama and the world, everywhere we go, strongest faith on your job, strongest faith in your family, strongest faith everything you put your hand to in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Stand up with me. Praise the Lord.